Let's pray together. Lord God, we come again to your word. We believe it to be your word, inspired, Lord. And it's for us this morning. You have a message for us. You have something that you want to impress on our hearts and to change our lives through. And so we ask that you would do that, that you would give us wisdom, Lord. I pray that you would be with me as I try to walk through this, and that you would help me to speak things that are true and right, things that would be applicable to our lives, and that you would change us because of our time in your word this morning. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look right at the beginning of Galatians chapter 1, it says, Paul. Paul stated right at the beginning of this to be the author of the letter, and the letter is written to the churches in Galatia. You see that in chapter in, in verse 2. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. There's some debate over exactly... Um, who Paul was writing to, there's different theories, the North Galatia theory and the South Galatia theory. Um, we could get into that, but it's really not totally necessary. I think what makes most sense is that he was writing to what would be called South Galatia, which contained a number of cities, things like Pisidian Antioch, uh, Derby, Lystra, Iconium. Now, these are probably somewhat familiar to you. If they're familiar to you, they're from the, the book of Acts, chapter 13 and 14. These are places that Paul visited on his first missionary journey. As he was sent out from Antioch, he went and traveled to some different um, cities throughout this South Galatian area. We can think about the Apostle Paul. You remember the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 8. He wasn't necessarily someone who looked like he was going to become a missionary to anywhere. You remember him as he stood by and watched as Stephen was stoned for his testimony of being of Jesus being the Messiah. And now Saul, in response to that, he was this zealous Pharisee who was launching a persecution a persecution against the way, as it was called in the book of Acts. But on his way to Damascus to persecute followers of the way, Jesus appears to Saul and gets in the way of all of Saul's plans and kind of turns his life upside down. The risen Christ knocks him down on the road, literally, and blinds him and asks him, Why are you persecuting me, Saul? Saul's blinded for three days. Ananias comes to him, and Saul finally sees that Jesus is, in fact, the one that they have been waiting for. So Saul is radically transformed by Jesus, enough to even have his name changed. You know you're changed when you have to have a name changed because you're totally different no longer Saul, he is now Paul. And years later, um, we read about this in Sunday school this morning in Acts 13, he is sent out with Barnabas as missionaries um, to take the gospel, and they end up in the South Galatia area, what's probably modern-day Turkey would be a, a way to think about it. If you're like me, I say modern-day Turkey, and that probably doesn't help you out much, but um, you can look in here at the maps in the back of your Bible and find out where Paul was at in his first missionary journey. But they travel through all these different cities in South Galatia. They face persecution the entire way. But they also see people come to a saving knowledge of who God, of, of a saving knowledge through belief in Christ. Jews and amazingly Gentiles are converted. They come to understand and to believe that Jesus is the way. They come to be set free from the demands of the law, from religion, and they're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So you can imagine Paul and Barnabas, they're traveling from town to town, followed by an angry mob of 
of of Jewish individuals who want to combat what they are saying. But they go from town to town, always staying just about a step ahead of those that are behind them, and they're preaching the gospel, and people are coming to know the truth of the gospel, and they're planting new churches there and installing elders. And they get kind of to the end of their journey, and then they bravely backtrack and go back through these cities. I think that would be a tough decision to make, but they go back through and encourage the churches in these different cities. And then they end up leaving. And it was sometime after this, probably after Acts 14, that Paul got word that these churches, these churches, remember, that he had risked his life for. He'd been stoned at, in, in one of these cities because of his witness for Christ. These people who had come to faith, they were his, his children in the faith. He gets word that they had forsaken the message of the gospel. False teachers had come in. And they started contradicting what Paul had said, what Paul had preached. One of the messages they seemed to be preaching was that faith was not enough to save you. You need something more. You still need to keep the law of the Old Testament to truly be saved by God. Um, If you have faith but you haven't been circumcised, then you are not rescued by God. If you have faith but you eat pork, well, you're not a true follower of God. They were questioning Paul's teaching and Paul's authority to teach what he was teaching. You can imagine what this might look like, someone coming up to Paul and saying, Paul, did you did you hear about what's going on in, in Galatia? And he might say, yeah, I was I was there. I saw God's word go forth, and there were a few that, that believed. They came to faith, and they were trusting in Christ. And this person might say, yeah, I, I heard about that too, but did you hear what's going on right now? Did you hear that they've actually forsaken that message? They, they've fallen back under the slavery of the law. And you can imagine that this would this would be like a dagger to Paul's heart. I mean, this is, again, he, he laid down his life in many ways to bring the gospel to this area. Now they are forsaking this message of freedom. It'd be like, it's hard to, to draw a full example of this, but it might be like, say you were in a, a branch of the armed services and you went to a certain city and there were people that were maybe prisoners of war, just those that had been enslaved by a, a cruel dictator. And you came in and uh, risked your life maybe even were wounded in battle and ended up being able to free these people that had been enslaved. You you opened the gate of the prison that they were in and they came out and you encouraged one another and there was this joy at, at what you were able to accomplish. And then you leave. Maybe a year later after you are no longer in the armed services, you turn on the TV one day and you find out that these people have been enslaved again. The exact same people that you had freed are now back in prison. It's like everything that you had done, all the work that you had put into it is is now for naught. Of course, Paul, for Paul, when he, well, the Gentiles, they were deceived by teachers. It's in a sense, it's as if they had willfully re-enslaved themselves to the law, like they had willfully gone back in to prison. And when Paul gets this news, he makes an immediate response. And that's what Galatians is. I think if it would have been modern day, he probably would have picked up his cell phone and started trying to get a hold of people right away. If someone didn't pick up the phone, he's shooting texts and saying, hey, call me right now. What's going on? I'm hearing things. There's something happening. But the quickest way that he could get a hold of them at this point was to send a letter. And we know that actually Paul says later on in chapter 6 that he wrote it with his own hand. He didn't use a secretary as he sometimes did. He said, "I this is important. I am writing this letter. I'm sitting down and I'm writing it right now. We're getting it in the mail or however they sent letters. I want to get it to Galatia as quick as possible because 
This is extremely serious. So Paul picks up his pen, and these are the first words he writes. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Again, we're going to look at these five verses, but we're going to try to get a a broad sweeping understanding of the entire book. And the letter itself breaks down well into about three sections. Chapters 1 and 2, chapters 3 and 4, and chapters 5 and 6. It's it's very beautiful, actually, the way it breaks down. And we're going to see all three of those sections reflected in these first five verses of the book. But the first section that you would find in in chapters um, 1 and 2, and and here in verses 1 and 2, is the source of the gospel is God. That's kind of the the theme that we want to give to these first two verses and to the first two chapters of the book, the source of the gospel is God. The source of the gospel is God. But part of what was happening in Galatia is that people were questioning Paul's authority. People were coming in and they were saying that Paul doesn't have the authority to say what he's saying. He's come up with some crazy message about Jesus. He made this thing up. Or they were saying that that some of the other disciples, led by Peter or, or other people, they had taken this message of Jesus and they'd taken it to the extreme. And it's just, it wasn't right. But Paul makes it clear in verses, uh, chapters 1 and 2 and in verses 1 and 2 that his belief in Jesus as the Messiah and the truth about the gospel by faith alone was not something that he came up with or something that he was taught by the apostles. He says that he was, I mean, remember who he was. He was adamantly opposed to the gospel and suddenly he's transformed. He was on the road to Damascus getting ready to murder people who followed the way, and now he's preaching about it. He says here in Galatians that when he, after he was rescued by Paul, he didn't even have any contact with Peter for three years, and then he didn't end up uh, talking to any of the other disciples for 14 years. His message wasn't an invention of his own mind. It wasn't something that he was repeating because Peter and the other apostles told him to. Rather, Paul says in Galatians that his message came directly from Jesus himself. Look at what he says in verse 1 there. Paul, an apostle, and it's important what he says, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, Paul kind of comes out in right from the get-go with guns blazing. He says, this is, what, this is who's writing to you. I am an apostle. I am one who has seen the risen Christ. He makes it clear that, that this, is, this is one of the... Um, one of the requirements, if you're going to call yourself an apostle, you have to have seen the risen Christ. And he says, I am an apostle. I have seen the risen Christ. Now, of course, Paul says he was an apostle as one untimely born. He had seen Jesus uh, after he had ascended, but Jesus got a hold of him, remember, on the road to Damascus. Jesus talked to him, and he saw the risen Christ. And he says, I'm an apostle, and I'm not an apostle from men or through the agency of man. My apostleship is not from man. It has come directly from God through the person of Jesus Christ. And what's amazing as we think about this is, and what, where the application is for us is that this is, this is the same message that we believe. 
What's so unique about the gospel message is that it has been delivered directly to us by God. It's not the invention of man. There, there are those who also claim that they have received direct revelation from God, but their messages don't hold up under the scrutiny that we can put on them like the Bible does. This is God's word to us. It is from God. It is infallible. It is the truth, and it is the only truth. It's directly from God. The message about Jesus in particular is told to us by men who were with Jesus, who, as Peter says, beheld his glory. These were eyewitnesses. They were there, they heard the message, and they recorded it for us. The message that we have is from God. The message of Paul is authoritative. He's saying, this is this is from God. My message isn't something I made up. It's not from other people. It's something that God has given me. It's been handed down to me from God. And this is now the message that we have in the scriptures. The message of the gospel that we preach isn't something that, that Paul or Joel or I made up. It's not something that we stand here and we, we are saying this because we think that this makes sense. No, we say it because it's what the Bible says. This isn't something that's been handed to us by the Southern Baptist Convention. They said, this is what you need to preach in your pulpits. We're not preaching it because we read it in some contemporary author and because this is what they think is important. This is based on God's word, God's revelation to us. The message that we preach is from God. Now, the encouragement for you then is to say, if we preach something and you look in God's word and say, I'm not sure if that lines up, then you have every right in the world to question what we are saying. But if we are preaching the message that is here, if we are preaching the true gospel, then we're not preaching it for our own sakes. We're not preaching it because we came up with it. We're preaching it because it is what is true. It's a message not from men or through the agency of men, but it's through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So this message is that we preach is true. It's, it's of a divine origin. It's the same message as Paul's going to argue that was given to Abraham. All the way back then, Paul makes this argument that, that the message given to Abraham of justification by faith is the same message that we preach today. Thousands and thousands of years ago, there is no break in that. It's the same message from beginning to end, and it's the same message that we're preaching today. It's been handed down to us from Abraham, Isaac. Jacob, it's gone to the promises made to David through the prophets, through the, the message of Jesus himself, to the apostles, and, and to Paul here who is preaching it to us. This is the same message that we are preaching. And it's gone through the history of the church, from the early church fathers on through to the period of the Reformation, to all gospel-believing churches in the city of Louisville and around the world that today are preaching the truth of the gospel. It's not something that we've made up. It's something that God has given us by divine revelation. Our current culture is one that says all faiths are kind of on this level playing field. It's popular to say that there are different religions, but they all, um, they're all just different ways of getting to God. They're different ways, but everyone kind of lands in the same, in the same point. But Paul reminds us here that no, there is one message and it's authoritatively given to us by Jesus. And, and all of the messages are, they're false. They're not true. They're false gospels. He goes very far in in, um, in this book, and he says, if anyone comes to you, you, you see this uh, in verse 8, if any, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say now again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, 
he is to be accursed. There is one message. There's only one true authoritative message, and it's the message that Jesus has given us in God's word. So Paul is zealous to defend his apostleship and his authority to speak as a representative of the gospel, not because he's, he's concerned about his reputation. Paul is, is not, his pride's not hurt. Um, he's not pouting in a corner, talking about the meanies up in Galatia who are saying that he doesn't know what he's talking about. No, it has nothing to do with Paul. It has to do with the fact that if if the those in Galatia reject him as a true apostle, if they reject him as an authority to speak on these things, then they are rejecting the truth of the gospel. And so he says, I have to say that this is true, that I that God has given me this message and I am a true and faithful apostle, or they will reject it. Um and so that's the same method that we come with it. We come boldly with the gospel. We don't we don't come to people because we're trying to make ourselves look good. We're defending the truth, the message that God has given us. So he defends his authority in chapters 1 and 2, and we even see shadows of that in um, verses 1 and 2 here. And then after he defends his authority and the divine origin of this message, he, he starts to say, this is what the message is. This is what we preach to you. I want to remind you because you seem to have forgotten what I said about the fact that you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. And so he starts to talk about it in chapters 3 and 4. So chapter 1, we said um, the, the main point, the main idea is the source of the gospel is God. Chapters 3 and 4, we see that the core truth of the gospel is justification by faith alone. The core truth of the gospel is justification by faith alone. With with the help of these false teachers, the Galatians have done what we all naturally do. Our sinful flesh has a an attraction to being a Pharisee, um, to believing that our standing before God and acceptance by Him is grounded in what we do for Him. We seem to have this kind of default mode where this is what we move into. We We approach God and we seek to have Him accept us because of who we are or what we've done. The reality of our sin is that we just we have this natural drift. Have you, have you ever driven a car like that where it just has a natural pull to one side? Maybe the tires aren't aligned right or the steering wheel just isn't right. And it, if you were going down a straight road and you took your hands off the wheel, it would just it would fairly quickly veer to the right. Anyone driven a car like that? And so you find yourself you just kind of constantly having to pull left a little bit. You know, it's, it's a struggle to keep the thing going straight. I find in my heart, and I think it's just the way that I am because of my sinful pride and, and my sin nature, that, that my bent is to just want to move towards legalism, to be a Pharisee, to say, God, accept me because of who I am, because of what I've done. I did this, God. Are you, are you more happy with me now? Do you, do you love me more because of I've done this? You might think that you know this car, this just the natural bent of our sinful hearts pulls us this direction. And then religion shows up, and it's kind of like this backseat driver that says, yeah, that's right. You know, go that way. Because religion says this is the way to earn favor with God. It's by what you do. It's by who you are. It's, it's, it's by, if you do enough good works, then God will be happy with you. If your good outweighs your bad, then, then you'll get to heaven. And so they're saying, yeah, you should go right. Keep going right. And, and our hearts already want to go that way. And so we just fall prey to that so easily. So it's not surprising that this is what's going on in Galatia. Because that's just where our hearts naturally want to go. 
hearts don't like this truth of justification by faith alone apart from works. Paul spells the message out here. He says in verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. The message of the gospel is a message of grace and peace. It comes to us from God the Father through Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. God has predetermined beforehand that this is the way we are to be saved. It says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself so that he might rescue us according to the will of our God and Father. This is God's plan from the beginning. This isn't plan B. This is how God has chosen to save the world by grace, through faith, from Abraham on through till now. And it's the message that Jesus has given himself for our sins, as it says there, to save us from our sins and to rescue us from this present age. Paul's going to talk about it more throughout the entire book, and I'm excited to look at these passages, but uh, Galatians 3.13, he says it this way, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. What a beautiful description. God has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Jesus has come, and he has become a curse in our place. He has taken the demands of the law upon himself. He's taken the punishment of the law on himself. He's become a curse for us. Probably the key verse I would think in Galatians is Galatians 2.16. He says, actually starting in verse 15, We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Paul says no flesh will be justified by keeping the law. That means no flesh. No one can be justified by the works of the law. This message of the gospel is the message that he says in in um, Galatians 4, which we heard last week as we thought about our adoption. Verse 4 of Galatians 4, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The message of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not by works of the law, is the message that Paul says, you, you've forgotten this. You've drifted back into trying to to make yourself right before God. You've just kind of default gone into that mode. And, and these guys are they're, they're yapping from the back seat and they're saying, yeah, do that. you got to be good. You have to be circumcised. You can't eat those foods. You have to keep these holy days. You have to fast when we tell you to fast or else God will not be happy with you. And Paul says, no, that's not true. Tell them to be quiet because this is the message. This is the message I've received from God. And this is the message that you are justified by grace alone through faith alone, not by what you do. You can't do anything to earn your salvation. It's all done by God. What's hard about that for us is that it ha we have to admit our sin. We, we want to be able to do something good, don't we? I mean, I want to be able to earn my salvation. But right off the bat, Paul says it's 
that God has given himself for our sins. That we have all sinned and that, that we bear punishment because of that. And we will always sin. That is our natural inclination. But he says that Christ has taken our sins for us so that he could rescue us. This is the message that's been distorted. And Paul says you have to come back to this. And before we start jumping on the Galatians and saying, I can't believe that they would do that. You know, I mean, Paul came and he preached so clearly and laid down his life for them. And now they've fallen into legalism. It's something that we do every day. We're tempted to believe the lie that we find our acceptance before God based on the things that we do. You may have done it this morning. As you took your check and put it in the offering plate, you thought, hmm, I wonder if God's happier with me now because I put this in here. Or maybe as Trevor led us through that, that great time of confession of our sins, you just started piling on yourself this, this guilt that says, you know what, I think God loves me less because of all the sin that I committed this week. We fall into this mode of saying that, that God's acceptance of me is based on what I do or what I don't do. You know, I didn't read my Bible all week long. God must be so mad with me. Or I did so many good things this week, therefore God loves me more. Does God want us to do these good works? Yes, and that's we're going to see that in the last couple chapters. But God doesn't love us any less or any more based on what we do. It's something that we just have to keep reminding ourselves of. We preach the same message every Sunday pretty much, that we're justified by grace alone through faith alone. But we preach it because we forget it. We just forget that that's what's true, that that's what's real. Uh, one of the best ways I heard it stated was I was listening to a, a message during Founders Week at, at Moody Bible Institute. and Haddon Robinson, uh, who wrote the book on preaching, literally, uh, was preaching. And he said that, um, just the way he said it stuck in my mind. He said that you are no more loved now as a follower of Jesus than you were the moment that he saved you. That God's love for you has not increased, it has not decreased from that moment of salvation. It is the same. Because it's not based on anything you do. It's not based on who you are. It's based on what God has done. And that has not changed. And so your acceptance before God, the love that you have from God, is the same. And it has always been the same. It doesn't increase, it doesn't decrease, because it's not based on what you do. So the message, the core truth of the gospel is justification by faith alone. And this is the main burden of the book of Galatians in many ways. That's why Martin Luther loved it so much, because he was trying to preach this so clearly during the Reformation, because it was a, a truth that had been lost. It had been lost in the midst of this religiosity that said, no, there's these number of things that you have to do in order for God to love you, in order to be accepted by God. And he says, no, God has done it in the person of Jesus Christ. I am accepted not because of what I have done, but because of Christ's righteousness. And I'm accepted on the basis of my faith. Of course, we have to find this balance. And Paul always has to find this balance in here because he's preaching this gospel that's so free. It's by faith alone. It's not based on anything that you do. And so everyone responds and says, well, Paul, you're just saying that anyone can do whatever they want. He says, no, that's not what I'm saying. You've been saved and you've been freed from the law so that now you can do the good works that God has called you to do. So that's the, this third section in verses um, or chapters 5 and 6. The result of the gospel is freedom. The result of the gospel is freedom. The source of the gospel is God. 
The core truth of the gospel is justification by faith alone, and the result of the gospel is freedom. Galatians has been called the freedom letter. And in chapter 5, he starts off, he says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. and Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. He talks about this being enslaved to feeling like... To the to the evil the present evil age you see that in again in our section in verse four who gave himself for our sins that he might rescue us from this present evil age we're made right before God for the future but he's also rescued us from this present evil age from being enslaved to this evil age and in verses in chapters five and six he walks through and shows that we are now free to walk in the spirit to do what call, God has called us to do not based on our own um, goodness, but based on what God does through us through the Spirit. That's probably the most famous passage in the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. What's happened is that the the Galatians have confused their justification, their right standing before God, with their sanctification. And they're saying, I need to do good things in order to be justified. And Paul's saying, no, those things are, are, are separate. And yet now he's saying, they're not totally separate, though. They are linked. And the link is faith. That God is the one who saves us, and God is the one who sanctifies us. And he does it by means of faith. They are powered by faith. They are powered by the Spirit. If the Spirit is working fruit in our life, then who gets the credit for the fruit? The Spirit, because it's done by faith. We're walking in the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who does these things as we go by faith. Now, the uniqueness of faith is that it makes us completely dependent on God. We don't say, look at how much faith I have. It, the faith isn't something that um, that makes us acceptable God. Faith is something that says, I can't do anything. I have to trust God alone. Faith glorifies God in the work of the Gospel. Now, this this last section, there's, there's so much here, and, and again, we're just kind of doing this brief flyover, and we'll get down into all these passages, but the result of the gospel is is freedom. Uh, let me show you one way this kind of works out, and it worked out for me this, this past week, um, that this is not just a theological exercise to talk about big words like justification and sanctification. Um, our, our family, in our family devotions now, has been going through the book of Mark, so we've been reading through the book of Mark together, and um, this past this past week we came upon uh, this passage that says um, where the disciples were arguing among themselves. Do you remember this? They were arguing, and it was so funny. I said, "What were they? What do you think they were arguing about?" And Elaine said, um, "Who was the best?" I, maybe that's just seated in our hearts that we think that that's something to argue about, but it just came out, and she said. That's what, and that's exactly what they were arguing about. Who was the greatest? And what does Jesus tell them? He says the one who serves is the greatest. We need to serve to be the greatest. And so we started trying to talk about that. What does that mean? We started applying it to different situations between Elaine and Lena in particular and trying to say, how do we serve one another? And we said, Elaine and Lena, how do you serve your mom? How can you put your mom first? That's the core of the gospel, isn't it? To, to put others above ourselves and so we're thinking about all these things. And as we're going through it, I just keep thinking, I don't want to make them little legalists, though. 
I don't want to make them little Pharisees where they think I need to serve one another and therefore God will make me happy. And so we said, well, does, does God love you more if you serve your sister, if you serve your mom? No, he doesn't love you more. Does he want you to do it? Yes. Can you do it on your own? No, the spirit has to do it through us. And so it's just, it's a difficult balance. It's a balance that we have to have. And again, I, we even have to have it with our kids. I, I don't want my kids to, to grow up thinking that they have to serve one another. And that's what makes Jesus happy. Jesus frowns when you don't, um, when you don't do what he wants you to do and he doesn't love you as much. It's not the truth of the gospel. The truth is that I'm not saved on whether or not I serve one another. I'm saved based on what Jesus has done. But he calls me into this and he, I am to walk in faith to allow that to happen. And so there's this balance that we constantly have to be seeking. And Galatians, I pray, will, will give us this balance. But I want to give you one more thing that's that's not a section of the book, but it's kind of an overarching theme. Let's read these verses again one more time and look in particular at verse 5. Paul begins, he says, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Again, the source of the message of God. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches in Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. There it is, the core truth of the gospel, justification by grace alone through faith alone, so that he might rescue us from this present age. The result of the gospel is freedom, that we have been rescued to to live as God has called us to do, according to the will of our God and Father. And then verse 5 comes in. To whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. To whom be the glory forevermore. What Paul is doing throughout this book is giving glory to God. He says the message isn't from me, it's from God. God gave me this message. It's not something I'm making up. It's not something I'm trying to get you to follow me in. This is something that God has given and God wants us to follow. The core truth of the gospel, justification by faith alone, gives all the glory to God. If our righteousness is based in Christ, then who gets the glory? God gets the glory. If it's based on faith and not works, then who gets the glory? God gets the glory. If the result of the gospel is freedom to walk in the good works according to the Spirit, then who gets the glory? God does, because he is the one that's working these things out in us. What the Galatians had done is they'd forgotten their sin, and they'd forgotten the holiness of God. And therefore they said, we can do enough good things. We can, find, we can make ourselves acceptable to God. This whole message about about Jesus coming and that he's the only way. Well, what about me? What am I supposed to do? Can't I do something? The message of the, of the book of Galatians is the message of the Bible. And it's that if we are going to be saved, God has to do it. We are lost. We are enslaved in this present evil age. We are enslaved to our sinful desires. We are enslaved to the world, the flesh, and the devil. And unless God shows up and rescues us, then we will be trapped in that. And there is no hope. For salvation in and of ourselves. The message of the gospel, though, is that at the right time, when the fullness of time came, that God, according to his will, sent Jesus, who gave himself for our sins, so that he might rescue us from this present age. God has done it. God has made the way possible. And so Paul writes to the Galatians and he says, you guys have fooled yourselves. You're thinking too highly of yourselves. You think that you can do it. You think that you can do enough good things. You think that now that you've been saved by faith, you can 
walk in good works and continue to make God happy with you. That's not the way. What God has called you to do is to rely on Him by faith alone. That is the only way to be saved. So, in many ways, the entire message of the book of Galatians is intended to reveal to us that unless God chooses to save us, then we will remain lost. We will remain in this state of trying to do enough good things. And we can't do it. But the message of the book of Galatians is that God has done it. And so therefore we should glorify Him because of what He has done. We glorify Him by walking by faith, not by good works. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins, so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we come and we just freshly admit that we have no good thing in us. We're deceived so often into thinking that we can do enough good things make you happy with us or that your love is conditioned on who we are or what we do but it is not Lord help us to believe this message this message that's come to us directly from you through your word that we would not rest in our own apparent good deeds but that we would rest on Christ alone and that we would walk by faith and see that salvation worked out in our lives And Lord, it's in that that you receive all the glory. That you are seen as great as we walk through this world. That people can look at us and see the truth of the gospel displayed. and That they would not glorify us, but that they would glorify you and praise you alone. And so this morning, God, we join with Paul. We say thank you for saving us, God. We ask that the glory would be to you alone forever and ever. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.